Hi everybody, this is Ken Fallon. I'd like to apologize to start off with for the poor quality of audio on my side of this recording. Um, there's a known bug with uh, Fedora and Skype call recorder. There is no solution for it. It seems to happen and because it's a closed source recording application, unfortunately there's nothing I can do. I didn't have time to um, come up with other solutions for recording, so it's uh, only on my half of the recording and not on Fernando's half. So uh, if you can grin and uh, grin and bear it for a while, I think the uh, interview is well worth listening to. Thank you very much. My name is Ken Fallon, and today uh, it's my great pleasure to be able to interview Fernando. And I'm not even going to attempt your second name, Fernando. Could you tell us your second name? Botelho, yes. Okay. Botelho. And uh, you're from uh, the F123 Foundation, is that correct? Well, it's not actually a foundation, but it's a, it's a project. Yeah. It's, uh, it's led by F123 Consulting, which is our company. And uh, we do uh, follow uh, free and open source software principles. So we support a number of uh, libraries and, and developments that we think are important in terms of accessibility. And the F123 itself is a distribution as well. Okay, very good. And your <laughs> website is f the number one, the number two, the number three dot org. Exactly. And we have versions in English, Spanish, uh, Portuguese, and French. So it's f123.org slash en for English, es for Spanish, and fr for French, and just f123.org, the default is Portuguese. Okay, can you tell us a bit about your background, how you ended up uh, being involved with this company? Well, we... I, I am blind, uh, so I've, I've always been interested in accessibility issues, but I worked in different areas. I worked for for a small NGO in New York. I worked for a United Nations agency in Geneva, Switzerland. I've worked with uh, Swiss Bank in philanthropy services in Zurich. And at some point in that uh, career, I thought I, I wanted to do something of my own. And that's when we started F123. The idea behind F123 is that, um, as most of your listeners probably already know, um, assistive technology, you know, the, the screen readers, screen magnifiers, and all kinds of technologies that persons with disabilities need and use is incredibly expensive, at least the, convention, the conventional um, solutions uh, sold in wealthy economies is incredibly expensive. So we wanted to have something that was based on open source software and that was affordable. So we started F123. First, just me and my wife, uh, uh, you know, kind of putting, putting together a prototype at home on our free time. 
and this was back in uh, 2007 and then 2008. And then finally we got a prototype going and we uh, found some funding and started our project in more of an uh, official way in 2009. Launched the first version of F123 in Portuguese in 2010, in Spanish and English in 2011. And uh, here we are, keeping keeping it going. So were you born blind or did you... Did you <clears throat> no, I was born with um, with a visual impairment, but I was not... Le- yeah, I was not blind and I was not legally blind either. I, I had just a difficulty with sports and other, other things. But I could read slowly and I could get around. And then I lost a lot of my vision when I was about 16 and then lost just about all my vision when I was about uh, 19 or so, 19, 20 years old. Okay. How did you get involved in software and uh, open source? Well, I've, I've always been uh, very interested in, in software in general just because I needed it really badly to, to be competitive at work, at school, and so forth. And then open source, it was kind of the obvious choice. I, I always thought technology could play a very constructive and positive role in, uh, in society as a whole, not just getting things done, but also, uh, you know, um, helping with decentralization of, of power and control and so forth. So I thought open source was, an, was a clear choice, um, not just for cost, but also in terms of having a solution that is that remains a solution, a viable solution over the long term. And the only way to do that is with decentralization of control and of um, development. Okay. Um, So you started this company. Um, It's a for-profit company, I presume? Yes, but that's a good question. It's technically a for-profit company. But we, what we are doing is what uh, some people have been calling social entrepreneurship. So uh, social entrepreneurs are people that are using, um, you know, kind of solu- strategies that are typically used in for-profit entities, and they are using it to try to solve social and environmental problems in large scale. Yeah. And uh, some people do that with NGOs, other people do that with, uh, with for-profits. And in our case, it's technically a for-profit because that makes it easier to get loans and and look for investors and so forth. But uh, we have a commitment of uh, reinvesting any profits into uh, further development of our of our work. Uh, and and our mission is really increasing access to education and employment for the blind. And you know, there's never there's always more that needs to be done in that realm. So yeah. we're not worried about having any real profits anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, okay. There's a, there's a long way to go. So you um, you put this together, you have a distribution. What's it based on? It's based on Ubuntu, uh, just because it, it made the most sense uh, back when we started. Even today, it's, it's a very... Uh, a very interesting uh, distro. Now, given that they have not been uh, giving accessibility the same level of attention they used to, recently we have started reconsidering that choice, but we haven't had the, the time and resources to to really move on to anything else yep. so far. So the latest version being launched 
right now in Portuguese is uh, based on 13.04 mm -hmm. from Ubuntu. Okay, I kind of have to ask this question. Um, there, Jonathan Nadu has his own distribution. I know there's another blind distribution, and Jonathan would argue Sonar is an accessibility distribution. And um, now there's F123. Are we are we seeing here in the accessibility community, uh, free and open source community, exactly a reflection of what's happening in the general open source community in so far as having a, a plethora multiplication of distributions when people would think, hey, we should all get together and and uh, work together. Yes. Uh, yes, I think we are seeing the same kind of stuff that you see in the overall uh, you know, open source world. And the, the challenge is that everybody has slightly different ways of thinking about how to get things done and uh, somewhat different ways of working. And sometimes you're able to work together, sometimes you're not. Uh, what I think differentiates F123 from, from some of the others, you know, there's Linux, there's uh, Sonar, there's uh, Linux Accessível in Brazil, there's all kinds of uh, solutions out there. But F123, what we try to do is every time we have some funding, that uh, that we can use in any anything we want, we fund developments of uh, upstream uh, projects. So we helped with uh, WebKit GTK improvements. We've helped with uh, Compass Fusion eZoom the plugin uh, improvements. So we invest in things that benefit everybody else as well, not just F one two three. Okay, and that's actually more or less the same answer I get from. Uh from Jonathan when we're talking about Sonar, uh, that things get yeah. contributed upstream and everybody benefits, so, okay. Yeah, you know, Fantastic. so uh, I don't, <clears throat> I think what you have to do is anybody, you know, interested in, in, in looking at what we've done, it's easy to just go to the list, do a search for F123, and there will be a bunch of thank you emails and so forth uh, regarding our contributions. So, you know, so that's... Yeah. So, um, what is the what's your plans for F one two three for the next year or so? Well, what we want to do is focus on content for a little bit. Obviously, you never stop with the technical stuff, but we we also think there's a great need for uh, not so much documentation. There's there is quite a bit of documentation out there, but there is a need for training materials. Uh, and in the language that people need them. So, you know, 80% of persons who are blind or visually impaired are in developing countries, and a very significant percentage of those do not speak English. And you yeah, have yeah. most of the training stuff out there is all in English. So we, we want to continue increasing the amount of material we provide to NGOs, uh, the instructors, and just people at home studying on their own, learning on their own, that is in their own language. Uh, we will have to focus on Portuguese and Spanish early on in the process, but we will continue looking for funding to do the French version of, of the stuff we have. You're, you're based in Brazil, is that correct? Yes, we are based in okay. Brazil. And we have people using F123 in over 20 countries now. Uh, and we have English, Spanish, and Portuguese versions of F123. Okay. And there's plans for French versions? Uh, or yeah, that's, that has been 
in our to-do list for a little while now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we, we are a little surprised because uh, we thought it would be fairly easy to get funding from a foundation uh, based in France to help us out with that, but it hasn't been that, that easy at all. Ah, okay. You, you seem um, to be very connected with the, uh, you know, around the world. I see Argentina, Brazil, China, Costa Rica, Ecuador, El Salvador, France, uh, India, that you have um, uh, interactions with government agencies and NGOs. Do you find, you know, where do you find that it's most beneficial to, you know, to get accessibility help? Where are you, where are you finding the helps coming from? Well, I, I think that uh, nobody that wants to have a, a, a meaningful uh, impact in, in the disability world uh, can do it without partnerships. You know, so we from the start, we've had two, two major elements to our strategy, which is one, working with others, and two, having a multilingual solution. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's why uh, you know we we've we have had partners that are NGOs, uh, we've worked with foundations, we've worked with a couple of government agencies, and uh, because of my experience in the past and our focus in de in developing countries, we've we've had a a fairly good and wide ranging uh, network of of contacts that we've been you know working with. And uh, everybody needs a, a good solution. I mean, there's no lack of need. So it's just a matter of getting in touch with them and and kind of getting getting things going, which is not easy, but but it requires. There's a lot of communication that has to take place uh, to get things going. You know, a lot of people don't understand that there are alternatives to Windows. A lot of people don't know where to begin, how to install. Uh, so all of that requires a lot of friendly, you know, accessible from a from a, a very pragmatic point of view kind of uh, documentation and help. So and that's something we try to f emphasize a lot in our work. And do you find that being based as a business that that helps you with that? That you you're at least seen as oh, we have some financial reward in pushing this technology uh, in well, towards uh, you as opposed yeah, to if, I mean, it's, sometimes if it costs it helps nothing. You some... Sorry, carry on. Yeah, no, um, no we, we do have a, a version that is free and then we have a version that we sell which has a, a, a higher quality speech synthesizer. But, um, it, it, I, you know, this whole thing of being a company or being an NGO, I mean, in our case, I think it has helped more than hindered to be a company because we have been able to move fast, uh, and 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 I, I think it has been a positive overall. But it it also is an issue sometimes. Some foundations are not really uh, used to supporting for-profit entities, and they are not even allowed in some places. So we, you know, it's not all. Uh, uh, just good news. There are some challenges to doing this as well, okay. and and sometimes they are also not very used to the open source philosophy, you know, because it's the ultimate form of of um, uh, uh, transparency, right? So, it, you know, when you do a conventional uh, project, they have to verify everything you do by sending people to interview the people you, you have helped and so forth. When you do something in the technology realm that is open source, 
is so much more transparent and so much more uh, high impact. Uh, but a lot of these foundations, they don't understand that very well yet. Do you uh, uh, have repos for uh, for your code or uh, how exactly do you approach the F123 distro? Uh, we have, you know, when we funded Confuse Fusion, the, the person uh, Alejandro Leiva, he uh, he worked directly with people from from that uh, I don't know if it's called library or that that component. Mm -hmm. You know, when we worked with Web, when we funded Web GTK, WebKit GTK, that was done by a company called Igalia, which is really really well connected and already working with all the upstream projects. So yeah. you know, we don't even have a repo of our own. What we are going to have eventually is a, is a repository probably on GitHub where we will bring together what we pull down from Ubuntu uh, and we mix together with our kind of help files and shortcut files and so forth so that that uh, mixing is going to be available for others to contribute to and, and so forth. But that's not ready yet, unfortunately. Okay. That's actually a request I have from the Sonar project is, you know, I I have a, another machine. It's not running the same operating system, but I want to be able to manually add the, the enhancements, some of the enhancements at least, from that project onto my own desktop, regardless of distribution. Uh -huh. that's, that's something that will be really useful. Yes. Yeah, no, I think it's, in the abstract, it's all very good. In, in practice, it's a little more tricky. You know, some of the enhancements we have, for example, uh, you know, when you turn on, you use the shortcut to open up gedits, yep. you know, text editor. Um, before it opens it up, it, it tells you, um, it gives you a kind of a help message. You know, using Control-X, you can cut... Uh, a piece of text after you've selected it using shift and the arrow keys. Yeah. And then it opens up gedit. And these kind of help messages gives it to you uh, for like four or five different applications, which is really wonderful if you're a beginner and really annoying if you're not. Yep, yep. Uh, so there's another command to turn it off, of course, for, for more advanced users, and and that's fine. But it's not it's the kind of alteration to to the distro that is may not be totally easy easily portable. I don't know I don't know enough about the code to tell you how portable that's going to be. But um, but I'll talk to my developer. I think some of this stuff will be easily portable. Other things will be going to be a little more tricky to transport. So how is the how is your organization made up? Do you you have full time employees or how does that work? Well, here most of the time we are three full time employees, yep. and uh, we have other people that we work with on a part time basis, depending on funding. Uh, so depending on the project and the needs, we have uh, other people coming in and out of the project. Uh, you know, in software when you're doing a distro, you you either have a fifty or a hundred person team or you have three plus you know a bunch Helpers, of yeah. consultants because yeah. because they're very very specific needs so if we need something for LibreOffice we're probably going to go to Lanedo uh, if we need something with uh, uh, Gnome we're probably going to go to Igalia 
uh, you know, so we have all the people that we want and like to work with, but uh, we, we can't afford to have them on a full-time basis, at yeah. least not yet. Unfortunately <laughs> not. Yeah. Um, I got your name um, directly from um, from the Orca project. Uh, can you tell uh -huh. us uh, what your interaction... The Orca seems to be a central role in... A, a central component, obviously, in all these... Uh, all the distros, regardless, yours included. Could you tell the listeners what what the Orca project is? They're probably sick of hearing it by now. But no, no, it's fine. Orca is the, the screen reader that is used by uh, the GNOME graphical user interface, and because it uses some libraries that are widely widely used, and the Orca also works in other inter in another distros or interfaces that we are interested in, like LXDE. And uh, so Orca for us is absolutely uh, crucial and, and very strategic in its importance, and, uh, and we work with them all the time. Now, what we have observed is that although Orca is moving really fast in its development, um, there's a bunch of uh, bugs or dependencies or, you know, I don't know how what would be the best name for it. But a number of issues that require modifications in the applications themselves. So LibreOffice has a few bugs or quite a few bugs in accessibility that have been there for a while now and they need to be addressed so that Orca and any other solution can work with it well or better. Uh, Firefox and Gecko, you know, the library Gecko uh, needs needs fixing in, in a number of areas so that it helps us deal with not just Orca but any other screen reader to interact better with Firefox and Thunderbird. So what we are realizing now is that more than ever, we need kind of a joint effort between these upstream projects that are so important for the day-to-day -day user uh, and, and Orca itself. So Orca can do its part, but it, it doesn't get the job done if the other applications are not doing their part. But from, from what I hear, there's a very low priority on accessibility in those projects that they have a, a limited amount of resources as well. So what's the solution? Yeah. Well, the solution is making more noise, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, what you are doing is very valuable and what everybody else working with media and newsletters and podcasts, uh, all of that is very valuable. Uh, what they are going to realize is that a lot of governments have uh, criteria in their procurement, in their in their processes that require them to purchase and contract for technologies that are accessible. Uh, so when they realize that, hey, we're going to lose a lot of procurement opportunities, uh, uh, a lot of work and funding, if our, our stuff is not accessible, then they're going to give it a greater priority. I mean, it's what yeah. happened to Microsoft. They, they never cared about accessibility. They only started caring about it in the 1990s when Massachusetts told them they were gonna, not going to buy licenses because uh, Microsoft Office and Windows had huge accessibility problems. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean... There's an ethical argument to be made. There's a social argument to be made. There's 
all kinds of even practical arguments to be made. I mean, everybody else, everybody's aging, and a lot of the people uh, that a you know at a later stage in life have visual impairments. So you can have all these arguments, but people still put it at the bottom of their priority list. Mm -hmm. Now, when you talk about contracts, we all live off of contracts for technical support, contracts for software development, contracts for licenses in some cases. And in, uh, in all those situations, um, if the customer requires it, then, you know, people listen. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And I've also been thinking, you know, you got this graphical desktop, which from the point of view of automation or, you know, doing anything interesting automation-wise is very difficult. And at OGCAMP, uh, in this uh, presentation, a few years ago, I was at an accessibility demonstration and I realized that there are these applications, when done right, present a lot of hooks where you okay, yes. or okay, plug into, but that could equally be my bash script that uh, that does something when, you know, some API exactly uh, works or that a Twitter feed comes in. I know there are other ways to get a Twitter feeds, but, you know, that some proprietary um, uh, hook um, appears in the web page, you know, so there are definitely tech technical reasons for non-people without vi uh, vision problems getting involved in, in yes and, and then you have the situation where you have people working on libraries that they want the, these libraries to be as portable as possible they want this same kind of code base to be used in cell phones and to be used in computers and be used in everywhere else yeah. and the only way to make this really interesting and relevant is to, you know, remind people, look, if you're working on a cell phone, if your software is going to be running on a cell phone, I may want to use it uh, hands-free or eyes-free, right? I may yeah, be yeah, in a yeah. car and I may want to listen to certain things rather than uh, interact with it uh, visually. So, you know, then people start to understand, but it's, it's, uh, it's, a, long it's a long process. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and th this is something interesting that uh, you know we I, I mentioned earlier, the the whole challenge of the speech synthesis. Uh, you know, one of the challenges we face in the free and open source software world is that we don't have a very high quality speech synthesizer. Uh, we we have a wonderful project which is eSpeak, uh -huh. which is excellent. It's really fast. It's incredibly portable and it's very light, so it can be used in all kinds of situations, embedded systems, all kinds of places. But uh, it's it's a little mechanical sounding, and in some languages it's it's challenging for people to use it. So we need something that maybe it's not going to be quite as fast in terms of its reaction time. And maybe it's not going to be quite as light in terms of its uh, footprint, but it's higher quality, and, you know, more human sounding. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I've been trying to propose to people is this. I've been contacted by an international organization, uh, which in turn has been contacted by a number of governments. There's, a, there's quite a few governments that... Uh, do not do not have access to a speech synthesizer. In yeah. some cases, not even one that is proprietary. In other cases, neither proprietary nor free, uh, and they need something in their own language. So yeah. what what I'm thinking is we should 
and get the group together and uh, and develop in parallel you know we get once we have some funding we can uh, get some experts and develop in parallel a bunch of languages uh, at the same time right because the process is is basically the same you you identify the phonemes of the language and how that's going to be pronounced and and dealt with and so forth and um and I think there are two ways to go about it. I mean, to do it traditionally and concentrate the, the, the development in universities in each country, doing it with uh, a central university in the US or Europe, uh, you know, coordinating the effort and kind of leading all the teams. And we can also combine that with kind of a crowdsourcing approach where we have a, a website where people you know, interested in different languages can go in and, and change, make changes to the, the way things are pronounced, you know, different words are pronounced without really knowing the technology behind it, you know, changing the phonetics of certain words. And with HTML5 or JavaScript, whatever the, however you might want to describe it, you can uh, press submit and hear the changes you know the pronunciation of the change you just made and kind of vote on it right you could yeah. you could kind of crowdsource the development of better pronouncing speech synthesizers you know there is definitely interest from governments there is interest from uh, technical guys all over the place and definitely from the blind what we need is leadership from a funding entity, somebody who can fund that central, you know, that core team in, uh, in Europe or in the US that will then kind of uh, lay this out. And in about one to two years, we could have like 10, 20, 30 different new languages available in open source um, speech synthesizers. But uh, I'm doing some research for uh, for this myself, well, in, in talking with Jonathan, my my daughter has um, is dyslexic, and one of the uh -huh. things that we do to help her out is we got her a uh, Chromebook, and we use eSpeak to uh, talk uh -huh. back to her. Yes. And uh, people listening to this will be familiar with the eSpeak text to speech in English, which is bad, but the text to speech in Dutch is just downright scary she, <laughs> she ran out of her room crying um, and as part of that I did some investigation into the uh, human voices and I came across the Mary text-to-speech um, yes Java-based yeah um, as part of that I know that Jonathan Nadu has uh, developed a instead of speech hub he's got a speech dispatcher which uses uh, Mary text-to-speech they, as part of that project, there is the ability to, to go in and read texts and create a database so that you can create your own um, your own synthesized voices. Is that is that something like what you're thinking about or am I yes. way off the mark here? No, no, no. That's that's one of the possibilities. I mean, I would prefer that it, it would not have a Java dependency, right? I think it would make more sense if it was developed with, uh, you know, with a language that is truly open source, free and open source. And, um, and then I, I think 
you know, more leadership need, you know, somebody spreading the word out, bringing people together, explaining the steps to do all these things. I mean, what sometimes it's overlooked by, by a lot of distros uh, that, you know, want to have a social impact, but don't, yeah. is that people need a lot of handholding. You know, it's just a reality. I mean, there's there's a group of very sophisticated users, and uh, I, I am assuming you're one of those, and Jonathan is another, and the Vinux guys are others. And they play a very important role in the ecosystem. But then there is a, a need for others to just help people get things going. You know, and when they want a solution for a child or for a parent, uh, they don't want to be installing stuff. They want something that is plug and play, right? And they, yeah. this is something that is sometimes understood in the abstract realm and other times not understood at all, and but never really understood in practice, right? Um, so when we do F123, you know, we do everything we, we can to make it uh, completely uh, as automatic as possible and as 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 easy to to understand and use as possible, and and uh, and this is something that requires time and effort, and it's not easy, and it's it's what's overlooked a lot of times. So yeah, Mary TTS is is an interesting option, but there's nobody out there spreading the word about it, its existence. You know, it's just techies that know about it, mm-hmm. and there's no infrastructure to do the the changing that you, you know, the improvements that you are talking about ready to go and, and nobody's marketing its existence. Um, you know, nobody's paying the bill to have a server providing this to everybody else and then pressing a button and have it work in your computer rather than in some server somewhere. Right. Yeah. Th- does that make sense? I get enthusiastic. No, no, it, it does. There's one thing that I'd just like to mention that Java is released under GPLv3, so it's as free. Ah, it's as free as okay. anything else. There's also um, there are also I, I, I'm reluctant to open it up now because of the bandwidth connections. There are uh, online uh, places where you can websites where you can record in voices for uh, Mary TTS, and from what I understood about it was. The the libraries for the voices were more of a problem than the speech synthesizer. So theoretically, if you recorded, if you were able to get the database for the language and the audio and the sounds, that could actually be uh-huh. taken and put into eSpeak as well. So okay. all the projects can benefit once. But I think the issue that a lot of the text-to-speech engines are having is that while some parts of it is is open, other parts, the databases or the original source material is closed and, and therefore they can't go back in and make modifications for that. I understand. Yeah, that's probably the case with uh, Pico or whatever the Google Voice is called. Mm-hmm. And um, So, yeah, no, I agree. And and I, I have to say, I'm not uh, an expert in speech synthesis. Well, what I'm an expert in, in is, is the non-technical user. And the non-technical user has no idea of any of the complexities we are talking about. He or she only knows that he can either not have access to anything or have access yeah. to eSpeak yeah. or have a pirated copy of, of JAWS. And none of those are really ideal solutions for, 
for the non-technical user. And, you know, when we are trying, you know, whether we, we put an international project together to to collect uh, the recordings of people's voices or we are doing some more technical stuff with eSpeak or, you know, what was the name of festival and, and things like that, it doesn't really matter. What I'm saying is that there's a, there's, we are missing a decent solution that is free, that is uh, in, in multiple languages, especially languages that not, are not financially interesting yeah. for proprietary software makers. And, uh, and there's nobody doing that. And, and I think there is a potential to do it with crowdsourcing in terms of the development itself and the quality control kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And as well as, you know, do this in parallel over you know, maybe two years and we could get some, you know, spread the know-how about how to make TTS in, in a number of developing countries and, um, you know, improve the situation. Yeah, because right now there's the uh, HMM voice creation, um, uh -huh. which is a program that you can download and it will it will present a GUI uh, to you. Ah, uh -huh. and um, you basically follow a text. You read the text like a I don't know if you're familiar with the karaoke concept where the where yes, a bar yes. follows the text. Um, exactly. And the beauty of of things like that is that. On one hand, if you're reading a public domain work, the recording mm -hmm. that you have, the regular GeoBlog MP3 WAV file, can be uploaded to um, the LibreVox project as well. To so you Excellent. get a free free book as well as that gives the database the uh, the language processing engine the raw material the, the raw needs. material. I know they're talking about this book and this is what it sounds like, and then I can go off and churn off my my databases and all those databases are are available to people because I, Fantastic. I remember reading about it and it seemed to me that they were in the how-to on this page, uh, GitHub Mary TTS, if you if you go in there, voice uh -huh. import tutorial, uh -huh. they go into a lot of detail about, um, they have the technology, but the problem is they don't have the, um, the volume of raw data, people sitting down recording the voices that they need to get the speech synthesizer. Well, yeah, that, that should be something easily crowdsourced, you know? I mean, there's a huge amount of people that are retired or even people that are not retired but are interested in doing something positive for, for society. We have all the time, we receive emails all the time about... Um, you know, we want to help. How can I help? And a lot of these people are not technical, but they yep. could definitely read stuff. Uh, we just need, you know, somebody to fund kind of uh, the back office to coordinate this. You know, yep. maybe do a little contest, you know, send diplomas to people, awards or whatever to the most hours, the guy that produced the most hours of material. I mean, there's a million things that can be done. And... Um, it's just, just just so difficult to find a foundation or a government that is smart enough uh, to think about these uh, processes strategically, right? Yeah, it's exactly. a short-term investment with a huge, absolutely huge uh, long-term impact, a social impact, which is what F123 is interested in. Yeah, I, uh, I completely agree. Um, yes. Yes. So, um, is there anything else that um, we should talk about before uh, before I let you go? Well, I think that's that's really uh, 
you know, I think this represents well what what we are trying to do. You know, our technical work, but not just our focus on technology. We we are always focused on the end result. So, if by you know to get people employed and educated, we need better training materials. That's what we do to get people uh, freed from proprietary solutions. If we need a better speech synthesizer. Uh, that's what we want to focus on. I mean, that's it's the end result that uh, F123 is interested in. And we are always looking for partners, um, volunteers, uh, anybody interested in South America and Africa in general and persons with disabilities. Uh, that would be great. Although we don't limit ourselves to that, That's those are regions where we have um, a very important uh, impact. So yeah. you know, we are anybody interested? It's he or she is most welcome to to contact us. I can be reached at Fernando at f one two three dot org. Yeah, and the link to that will be in the show notes. Just before you go, could you tell us about the Educano Livre project? Ah, Educação Livre is is like free education, free as in as in uh, freedom. Yeah. Um, this is a project we've done to to bring you know access to f123 to open source solutions to kids with disabilities in brazil so we've had uh, a bunch of people in curitiba brazil and in a couple of other places uh, being trained in the use of f123 and with that improving their access to education and and employment we've had that for about three years now and uh we we're going to start new classes now in uh, february in a bunch of ngos around brazil and that's the name of this this initiative because no foundation usually will will fund software development but they will fund software development if together with that you're providing training and you're providing you know, uh, software to to the kids and so forth. So they are interested in something uh, with very practical impact in the lives of people. And from what I'm reading here, at the end of the, you're sampling some graduates that 55% were employed, 6% were on practical training that led to yes. Volta, that's expected to lead. 12% had retired or had left uh, Brazil, leaving. 27% unemployed, which seems quite high, you know, but uh, I think if you take it into the context of, of uh, blind people, it would be quite low, really. Yes, exactly. I mean, in in wealthy economies, you usually have, like in the US, they estimate people always throw around is 70% unemployment among the blind. In Switzerland, is 69% among persons with disabilities in general. And in Brazil, the normal unemployment is probably around 95 or more percent. So, you know, when you talk about uh, graduates of any training that have only about 20-something percent unemployment, that's that's absolutely incredible. So that that's the kind of impact we want to have, when we want to continue having. The only difference is that we want to increase the scale. Yes. So we are we are always looking for partnerships or clients that are governments or foundations that, that want to do large scale 
projects because that is the true potential of open source. That is something where uh, proprietary solutions cannot even get close to us in terms of the the price performance ratio. Yeah, I think I think there's everybody listening to this. There's definitely something that they can do to help the situation. Now, if you're no matter how uh, much of a hacker you are or what end of the square you fall in, there's something that you can do to help this situation here, whether it's bugging uh, LibreOffice or Gecko or Qt at conferences, asking them why they have so many open bugs in Orca, whether it's sitting down with a good book and just reading it along with the screen so that you can upload that to LibreVox while at the same time producing for ever and a day, perhaps, a good sounding voice, synthesized speech voice that can be used by the uh, by the um, visually impaired community. Or it's taking, helping out with the Miri TTS project so that, as you say, building a website that's HTML5 compliant that somebody can go in on their afternoon break and can read, a, I don't know, a paragraph in Spanish and then the following day read another paragraph and the following day read another paragraph just so that it is completely uh, completely transparent and and easy to do and that it goes out on Twitter, hey, I've just read 15 minutes of Gone with the Wind or, I don't know, uh, Tale of Two Cities to support the LibreVox Miri TTS project. So there is definitely something you can do. And other than that, you can get in touch with your political correspondence, your political party, your local town hall, uh, your local library and ask them what they're doing and spreading the word that this type of software is out there. Because at the end of the day, whether you're a supporter of the ACF or F123 or any of the other good projects, all this stuff is fed upstream and everybody wins in the end. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> I've been saying it for a while. People are probably sick of hearing me saying it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fernando, thank you very, very, very much for taking the time out of your day. Is there anything else that I didn't cover that you? Uh, uh, no, I mean, I think... don't be a stranger. You can always, uh, you can always come back and give us updates. This is not a problem. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll keep in touch. I'll let you know how things are going, and uh, I think it's a, it's a joint effort. I, I look forward to hearing from you, and uh, you know, thanks to all your listeners for any support that they can give uh, accessibility. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And folks, remember, tune in tomorrow for another exciting episode of Hacker Public Radio. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HPR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Share Alike, 3.0 license.